2: Hello Ramblers and welcome to the latest Ramble Meets and it's one I was very excited about doing. Let's go back in time to 1992 where teenage me is at Brixton Academy, London's premier mid-sized concert venue and, as luck would have it, just up the road from where I grew up. I'm 15, on come ride and the sound is just so big it fills my head and my chest and it's all consuming and unbelievably exciting, very much like going to a big away match actually. I eventually get myself a VHS copy of Riot Live at Brixton, and when I came to finally bite the bullet and chuck out my video recorder a few years back, the two VHS cassettes I'd left were that one and 110 Great Goals Italia style, which was full of Hullet, Maradona, and narrated by the late, great Peter Brackley. Now, fast forward to earlier this year, when I'm in the control room at TalkSport, waiting to do my normal Monday afternoon European football roundup on Hawksby and Jacobs, and I'm looking at the guests who were on air at the time, And I listened to them talking knowledgeably about the game. And I think to myself, these two look a bit like Mark and Steve from Ride. I can only see the backs of their heads at the time. They also sound a bit like Mark and Steve from Ride. So that's how my path ended up crossing with today's guest, Mark Gardner, Ride singer, and also a huge fan of Oxford United, his and his band's hometown team. I loved having this chat, not just because I'm an admirer of Mark and his work, but because I really felt his passion for his club and it made me think about my relationship with my own club and how it relates to my life. And I hope it will make you feel the same when you listen to the episode. So if we go back to your childhood, what are your first memories of football from when you were a child Mark
3: well so I mean interestingly so my, my dad when he well my late my late father when he was a, when he was alive he uh he actually was a trustee at Oxford United um, okay. I don't know it, it probably possibly wasn't at that time when he first started taking me up there but it was just yeah it was the classic thing I was six years old um and i remember being taken up to my first game sitting on the front you know the little wall of what was then Oxford united the manor in yeah. the, which would be the the beach road side um which was actually pretty dodgy when you think about it because quite often the ball used to just fly and knock people off the wall you know but <laughs> but um anyway i used to yeah i remember just sitting on on the front wall and thinking, wow, this is this is one, you know, incredible. Like, what is this? It's like football, and I mean, my dad. You know, he. I mean, his dad before him. I mean, they, so his. It's totally in the family. So his dad actually took took my dad up when they were Headington. Um, so when right. they sort of became Oxford United. Um, so they would have known, you know, the, the likes of Ron Atkinson and Graham Atkinson and players like that, that, that used to play for the, the, the early Oxford United when it became Oxford United and came into the league, which I think was, oh, when was that? I mean, they, they came in in place of Atkinson. I, th- I can't remember when, I mean, yeah, a long time ago, don't know exactly mm. when. Um, anyway, so, so yeah, I mean, so six years old on the beach road wall, uh, would would have been my first memories of of going up to see Oxford United at, 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 yeah, at the Manor Ground, basically. Yeah,
2: it, it's funny, isn't it? How that was up until I, I guess probably the mid to late eighties. That was the the given thing at every football ground, in that like small kids yeah. were kind of passed to the front, weren't they? So yeah. they would get yeah. this view- and presumably, their dads could have a drink at the back or or whatever.
3: Yeah, I think my dad used to always have a hit flask. I, I sort of started to work that out because he, he always seemed to be pretty jolly at football times. <laughs> I was like, I was like, ah, okay, you know. So and and we used to sort of be able to walk there from where I where we were living in 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 Oxford at that time when we were we actually lived in the city at that point before we moved sort of to more to the countryside. So um, and and it all kind of tied in with. Me getting really into Sabutio and stuff like that as well. So uh, he, my dad, always, all, all, you know, also used to sort of walk me to the the one shop in Headington, which was where the manor was in Oxford and where yeah. they sold Sabutio. So I was kind of, you know, it just completely, you know, got me into football. And I, you know, and again, and I remember also sitting with my dad watching the some of the, you know, early early memories of the World Cup, you know, which would have been, uh, you know, Argentina. Uh, 78, so I'd have been eight then. You know, you know some of the early World Cups. So yeah, it's that kind of classic father-son sort of bonding thing, yeah.
2: Yeah, and I, I suppose like you know when when you were a kid, and I see this now with my children who are both under ten. Um, yeah. When when you experience football in a live context, it makes much more sense than football on television when you're little, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I remember I kind of. I remember watching those programs and uh, they, they became instantly more interesting to me because I'd been going to see live games. I suddenly, yeah. you suddenly get it. Like, whereas, you know, and it was kind of, what was it Saint and Greavesy and Brian Moore, is it Brian Moore on the oh, soccer yeah. thing? I mean, you know, yeah, yeah I yeah, kind yeah. of remember, I remember those coming on, um, as well as of course, you know, match of the day obviously is just, you know, one of the greatest programs ever. So, you know, that was always going on and, um, yeah, but it, it, yeah, there's nothing like being there. Then you then you completely got it. And and you know for for a kid of six years old, I mean, my daughter's five. She she's um you know I kind of did say to her recently, oh, do you want to come to watch a game of football with daddy? And she was just sort of like, certainly not. <laughs> 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 it's like, like not quite the response I wanted. But I like, so, yeah, I think she's she's she needs a few more years. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, it 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 was uh yeah. No, you're right. I mean, it's that that live that yeah because it you've never experienced anything like that but you know before really
2: yes it's like everything yeah. else really almost apart from what's on the pitch like the smells the, yeah. the sounds yeah. that the other people all of that is also vivid isn't it i mean I yeah kind of think even quite small kids like totally get what going to football is about because such a small part of it is the actual game
3: yeah absolutely it, it, exactly that and it's it's all that stuff going on around you and i think you know early days it teaches you also about that you don't always win I mean especially supporting (laughs) Oxford United you know it's like it teaches you about taking losses you know which of course you're always really competitive as a kid and you 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 kind of do things and you always want to win at things um Mm. but yeah that that kind of starts to show you oh no you don't always win you know it's like you you, you Mm. really don't yeah
2: so by the time you were a teenager we're kind of into Oxford's golden era aren't we after Robert Maxwells bought the club and yep. Oxford reached the top flight the win the yeah. 1986 milk cup i mean, I mean would, would are these your most vivid favorite memories of of being an oxford fan
3: they're not actually they're not i mean i they were they, they were i mean they're amazing memories and of course mm. i called it at a great time um because yeah so i would i would you know, I was kind of uh I would have been fifteen, sixteen when when the whole Milk Cup final thing happened and when we you know, when we went into the top top leagues. Yeah. Um I mean yeah, it was I mean, at that time it was absolutely crazy because it was such a little ground in the manor. And of course I didn't really appreciate it at that time. Um until I started to travel with uh, what was then called the London Road Club um, to go to – I mean, you know, it was kind of my first sort of um, introduction into touring, you know, in a strange kind of way because I used to go on a on a bus. Um, by the time – I think I was like 14, 15, my dad was happy enough for me at that age to sort of go off on – they used to lay on, you know, the coaches and go to away games as well. So I, used right. to, I, I started to go and see some of the bigger grounds and sort of tour – The country in a way, um, which was amazing, and that was because, of course, you were like, "Oh wow, the the man is quite small compared to some of these stadiums and stuff that I'm going to," you know, in that in the top leagues. Um, But yeah, so those memories were vivid, and also the being like standing in the London Road, as it was called then, which was you know obviously behind our goal, Mm. it was completely crazy. The atmosphere. And, and also quite dangerous at times because I remember like opposition fans would suddenly make, you know, appear in there and then there was all sort of scuffles going on. Mm-hmm. And it was just it absolutely sort of bonkers in a way. Um, but but, but you- yeah, me- memories were, yeah, my memories of it, which are were, were amazing. And obviously going to uh, Wembley and watching us win. I mean, I, I remember making a flag for about two weeks before Wembley. So I made this sort of massive flag, um, which I sort of obviously took. wrapped myself and went to that game with yeah
2: well that's that's it isn't it I mean when you think of that era for for Oxford like I think for some of our younger listeners they'll they'll be like hang about Dean Saunders John Aldridge Ray Hatton played for they had some incredible players
3: yeah we did at that time and and of course I, I just remember the likes of so I, I i totally remember you know arsenals um man man united so alex Ferguson's first game in charge was um uh, Oxford united away oh and, right. and we beat and we beat them. <laughs> I just so I remember things like that, and I know I remember also the fallout and um, and and you know f- you know hearing on the radio that Man U fans sort of saying who is this guy? Yeah, we've been to Oxford United and been beaten, but yeah, I mean the team at that point w- was amazing. Um It's like Billy Hamilton as well was another one. Yeah, um, you, you know who used to play amazingly alongside Aldridge, um, but yeah, a lot and obviously a lot of those guys you mentioned went on to be in the Republic of Ireland sort of world cup team as well as well as sort of to onto liverpool and um places like that they were a lot of them went to liverpool i suppose Aldridge, dean saunders yeah Are you like
2: the southampton of the day in essence
3: i guess yeah and and i suppose at that time i didn't really appreciate the how crazy it was Altswood United were in there because I was a teenager mm. and you don't you don't kind of realize all the mechanics that are going on around that and of course I suppose at the end of the day we were you know we were being funded by um, Maxwell which is utterly <laughs> dodgy um, yeah. because I guess he was then spending everyone's pension money that you know it wasn't here so so yeah. little did anyone know I mean of course we didn't realize then but but of course Around that time as well, there was some serious unrest within the club because then Maxwell also then kind of started to announce that he was going to merge um, Reading and Oxford together and call it yeah. the Thames Valley Royals. So he kind of kept coming in with some ridiculous um, ideas, and and then of course I remember then riots on the pitch, um, you, you know, pro, you know, people pro- protesting against that, which also really stuck in my mind as well as riots on the pitch when as we talked of talked pre this you know when sort of the lights were swind and people came before we were in the top leagues but but yeah those those sort of memories really stick out because it's also the first time that I'd sort of seen people kind of fighting stuff you know in yeah. on a pitch and you know but but yeah but but sure the, the golden time that 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 was a, an amazing period yeah and, and also I kind of you know Oxford would have been in Europe at that point had uh English clubs not been yeah you know banned barred from Europe at that time which was post uh, liverpool wasn't it the hazel thing so
2: yeah yes yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting actually because uh, like quite a lot of these themes are, are, are quite sort of familiar to me because um i'm i'm a wimbledon fan and I, okay, I, yeah. I, I started going probably about like 87 so firstly at the end of the first season where i was going regularly we won the fa cup and i, I presumed it would be the first in a long list of trophies (laughs) but 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 you just don't know do you and and secondly what what you were saying about the 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 merger because around 86 87 there was a mooted Wimbledon Crystal Palace merger and I I guess Wimbledon were in a a similar situation to Oxford in that they were essentially playing top flight football in what was not that much better than a a non-league ground so it, it kind of believed while that stadium situation exists it leaves the club in a very vulnerable position doesn't
3: it yeah exactly yeah you needed a maxwell with dodgy money <laughs> <coming in. laughs> uh yeah no it, it does but of course i mean it was it was years after that i started to realize um how vulnerable a club like oxford united was when they were kind of potentially you know going out of business and stuff mm. like that which we would probably get on to a bit later, but, um, but yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, I, you know, at the time you just, I just, it, you know, enjoyed it all immensely. Um, and yeah, you, you're right. People now would never really understand that for a couple of seasons, Oxford were up in the, in the top flight. Um, yeah. Good times.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, by the time you're in your late teens, that's mm. when Ryder really taking off. Um, mm. Of course, this is, like pre-internet. So how do you follow the games when you're on the road with the band?
3: Uh, it was, it, yeah, it, at those points it was tricky. Um, I would phone home a lot uh, just to see what, what the results were as, as you know, as and when we were on tour. Yeah. Um, I mean, to this day, at any time between, between touring schedules I could get to games, I always would, um, yeah. and I still do that um but yeah it it was more kind of just like phone home and speak to dad and see see how they did (laughs) and i'd know i'd know immediately just in the tone of my dad's voice when he sort of picked up the (laughs) phone (laughs) it's like doesn't sound too good Uh, but yeah i think that was really it and and yeah because i can't think there was any other real way of of knowing really at that time yeah because i mean even it, it sort of first girlfriends at that time that's the only way to sort of communicate with those was just sort of you know when you got to a hotel or something and you'd just phone after phone and just see see what was going on in the in the, the world outside your bubble world of touring really
2: well I'm, I'm relieved to know that you didn't spend all the royalties from nowhere on club call anyway i mean that was the biggest racket <laughs> of the 1980s what uh, was club call again what was that well the, the, basically you'd, you'd you'd ring this number and they'd have one for each club and it would tell you the news about your club while they were charging you about a quid a minute in a really slow voice maybe yeah, okay. a little snippet from a player or, or, or whatever. Yeah. So, no, I um, didn't
3: do that. I had, I had dad call instead, but I, you know, but then, but then we <laughs> did. Yeah. But it, although uh, that, that was of course the time when any phone call from any hotels, you were being absolutely rinsed as well. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, a lot of royalties were wasted in that way, but there we go.
2: So um, you were, Obviously on Creation, which had yeah. My Bloody Valentine and uh, Primal Scream. And latterly, once we get to the start of the 90s, Oasis. I mean, we, we know Creation was a big party scene and all the bands on it looked as if they were having an amazing time t- yeah. t- together. Um, how much was football a currency there, especially post Oasis because they were always I mean do you know that I think back to their first couple of singles when they're on the front cover of the NME they were posing in Manchester City kits and this was yeah. back when you know pre money when when City were pretty average.
3: Yeah absolutely I mean I think at that time I don't I think with, with the lights of I never really remember having any football banter with you know any of those pre-mentioned um bands apart from Oasis and when, obviously when we started to get to know Noel and Liam and yeah. those guys. Um, but I, I guess at that point um we we were starting things were not so good for us. Um, and obviously they kind of came it, they were coming in and you know it's like whatever they talked about, they seemed you know you, they just their meteoric sort of rise started and you could sort of see that happening really. Um, but I mean, I do remember too, because I—I mean, again, one of the grounds that I visited with Oxford United away was Main Road, you know, the yeah. Old Man City ground. So I remember that, and I also remember that being a place where you just—you know—everyone was just sort of throwing coins at us. <laughs> like, it was just like crikey, like, you know, mad. And but but again, one of the grounds that I that I really wanted to see, because strangely, probably just before I started going to watch Oxford United, and it was the sort of days of having the soccer cards. I kind yeah. of liked, I like, actually liked Man City, but only purely because I liked the light blue um, kit, you know. Yes, and, nice. and and I remember like Dave Watson, Joe Corrigan, you know, those people that played for City. So I'd started to pick that out as a team that I... Sort of thought oh that, that they're quite nice to support, but then until I started going to watch Oxford united, then of course it's like now nah, that's this is my club, and that's that but yeah, so it was a, again, it was a ground that I wanted to go and see back in the day and did with Oxford United as well as loads of others but um but yeah I so back to the whole creation thing, I think really I think because probably the music thing um the way it was starting to happen for everybody, not everybody, but certainly those bands that you mentioned yeah on on that label at that time it just it just took over everything really um you know you couldn't uh, yeah it it was just such a whirlwind that we all sort of felt we were in i guess at that point that uh even football was yeah it was hard to sort of keep up with you know life as it was you know before (laughs) you know the the rise of 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 our, our sort of bands basically um yeah yeah, it was, okay. yeah. I mean I guess the word it was pretty it felt very all-consuming and and also that was also why it kind of happened with those bands and with those people because I mean certainly from our own. I mean people don't realize but actually we did do the we did do the pub tours we did the transit van tours like constantly mm. and you know and and we did you know support it very not for long but in the early days with working sort of jobs as well so it was, it was just like round the clock basically just to try and make it happen and then of course when it started to break and go well then it it just demanded that we were you know that that then went from being in the uk to being world tours and uh you know around europe and to america and japan and japan i mean you never thought you'd be going to japan but so yeah suddenly we were then kind of like oh wow okay our whole world our whole world now and is is being planned and we've got to try and sort of keep up with this now yeah
2: yeah well with that in mind actually i mean you've you've talked all of you in the band have talked at length before about how going blank again, the second album was a kind of high point for you both creatively and in terms of, Enjoyment, but but when you look back on the band's first spell, like pre-breakup, can you kind of draw parallels with the life of a a young football team that that grows together? Because at the at the beginning, you're just doing it rather than thinking it or planning it, and then recognition and pressure changes things. I I guess I guess the parallel I would make football-wise in the modern world is like Borussia Dortmund, like pre and post. 2013 Champions League final because once the world knows who you are and expect a certain something from you, that changes yeah. the atmosphere inside, doesn't it?
3: Massively, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I could, I did, I you know, I still do. There are you know, there are real parallels between because of course that thing of performance. You know, you you there's an there's a expectant you know expectancy on performance being brilliant all the time. Mm. Um, and 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 you know, and of course when you start moving around touring. It's that's that's quite a thing to, to deal with on its own, let alone then arrive and be performing at your peak all the time. Which, mm. of course, you know, that's just you know, everyone that doesn't tour around or anything like that would just expect that from footballers, you know, and give them a hard time or like, what's what's up with him? But I mean, mm. you know, it is that is quite a that's a challenging place to be, you know, basically, and um, and I, and it did it made me sort of respect. Some of those footballers more I mean, you know obviously footballers are athletes and you know much more so than most banned people um you know so yeah i, I <laughs> you know I kind of get it, but yeah you're you in a in a way, I suppose when it's happening, your life isn't your own anymore, I mean because like you say when you're known, I mean freedom is being anonymous basically, and uh mm. you know when once you once you're known and once things start to happen. Suddenly your life isn't your own in, in, in a in a lot of ways you're just you're you know you you see i mean as with footballers, I guess you know you've got your whole you know months ahead of you you know exactly what you're doing you know where you've got to be you know come however you feel whatever's going on you've got to be there and you you've got to you know the, the show goes on the match goes on basically um so and I suppose that's more more so for a band because a band you know you can maybe get away with you know having i don't know bronchitis or something and still just about pulling off a show and you know yeah. but I suppose with footballers you just can't I mean there's, you hit a point where you can't physically perform at that high level all the time if you're ill or whatever but uh, it is that thing where the, the show goes on whatever and, and it is it is you know a game where you just look at the next few years um and it's all mapped out basically um and you know I did actually I found that pretty hard after a while because he because I sort of was someone that thought you know, being in a band—it's all about freedom and peace and love and all that stuff. I mean, I really yeah. bought into that, but actually, the, the reality is, it's like, oh right, okay. Actually, um, when I was anonymous, I felt more free than I do now, in a way.
2: Yeah. <laughs> where's Where's that point then for you that you realise that you're on a on a on a treadmill rather than just living the dream? Uh,
3: I suppose it, you feel like that when you're just. On tour at times, um, I you know, so th- there's there's different sides to me with it with music because in some ways I still feel, even now that uh, you know I'm, I'm I do I still work really hard with the whole music thing just so that I can still do it. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, a footballer uh, at my age now wouldn't be playing professional football, but in some ways we can still be playing professional and and higher level gigs even than we were playing back in the day then. Mm. Um, So there's, you know, there's that side to it. Um, Yeah, so it's just that whole sort of performance thing. So, yeah, but yeah, so it's a living the dream thing. Yeah, so I think, yeah, back then at times, that's right on on the touring side, when you're just locked in repetition, repetition, Every night, and then you realise actually it's just like you arrive, you're in a dressing room, you play, and it's like, and of course gigs can be amazing, and you love that that hour, what hour and a half that you play, Mm. but the rest of it is just like you feel you can feel like you're totally on a treadmill, and and I I also just really struggle with the repetition of it, Mm. and that you that you're not, you can't actually, you know, I, I like the whole thing that you create something fresh and new. I mean that's the real buzz for me is like when you make and do cool. things, which you feel are are great, you know, that's the, and then you, you, you really, really excited about how the world, how people will receive it. And, uh, that's, that's an amazing feeling in that sort of cre- within that creative process. But yeah, just when you're on a, a long tour and it's night after night and you're absolutely physically sort of spent basically, mm-hmm. um, but you, you just keep going and, and it's just repetition, repetition, that, after a while, I find that I do really struggle with that, I have to say.
2: So after Riot finished up the first time, um, you went to France for a bit, didn't you? Did you go yeah. to games or follow a local team while you were over there?
3: I didn't, no. Um, I was so in the middle of nowhere. Um, and at that time... Where, where were you? I was actually... So I was in um, in, in the department de la lot. So la lot, which is underneath the Dordogne area. Just right, right in the middle. Not, not, not. Certainly not glamorous. France in the south, but you know, by the anything like that, Mm. like right in the middle, um, and probably on the same line across as sort of Bordeaux. So, sort of down there and right in the middle. Right. I'm about an hour and a half um, uh, north of Toulouse, but I was so out of the way there and far away from any sort of bigger team. I mean I probably would have if I'd have been closer to Toulouse or something, although that's more rugby there, but I probably would have gone to it. But then but in a way I'd you know it's it's like now when people sort of say I've got Arsenal fans in Oxford and they say, Oh you want to come to see the Arsenal I'm like, no not really. It's like, you know, my club's Oxford. So and even yeah. then in France at that time I'd worked out a way that with my satellite, you know, because you'd kind of English people down, living down there used to get their sort of sat-nav set up, or not sat-nav, but your satellite TV thing set up so that you could still watch a bit of English TV or tune into some uh, uh, radio. So I, I was still able then to sort of start tuning into Oxford radio and I'd just listen then to the to the commentary um, in my little little barn in the middle of uh, the the medieval worlds of France and uh, (laughs) jump around in there, you know, and yeah, I mean, just sort of, just sort of hear it like that basically. Yeah.
2: So you were talking about how you you didn't feel particularly keen on going to other teams games, obviously in the band, Andy's an Arsenal fan. Steve's a very big Spurs fan. So presumably if they Mm. haven't got you to go to Arsenal and Spurs games, have you got them to go to Oxford games? Because Oxford is such a sort of central force for the for the band isn't it
3: yeah I I think Andy sort of got into football later in his life um, probably as a result of being in uh, you know around the Gallaghers for a while when he was in Oasis um, so, but I know that Steve sure. has been to a, be, Steve has been to a lot of Oxford games um, and used to come to a lot of Oxford games back in the day. Um, but was always, you know, like, like adamantly a, a Spurs fan. But he, yeah, he he came to a lot of Oxford games, and certainly the the the, the Wembley appearances we've been at, Steve was always there. So, I think you know, Stoltz is definitely Steve's second team. But you know, yeah, there we go. <laughs>
1: That's code listen at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code listen.
2: So uh, Oxford have been through it all really in 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 this mm. century. So the the club almost went out of business in in the late 90s before Firoz Kassam took over. And then in 2001 yeah. they moved from the Manor to the Kassam, which is a a huge difference. And then you look at some of the names that have been in charge since then. I mean, Chris Wilder looks really strange nowadays, doesn't it, when you see what he's doing with Sheffield United. Ramon Diaz, who I remember from Football Italia when I was a kid, he was in charge for a bit as well. I mean, how do you even start to get a handle on that? There's so much going on.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, I'm just glad... The club is in existence, and I I remember my dad at the time. which was going back to what you said about mm. around the night in the late nineties, nineteen ninety nine. I remember it was the time when we were playing Chelsea um, on an FA Cup, and we were beating them one nil. And um, it was the, the classic. You remember Kevin Francis, the, the tall black guy who really long legs. He you know he made a perfectly legal yes. tackle yes. in the box, and Vial, Viali dived. Totally dived in the last minute of that game and got a penalty and got pulled Chelsea back, you know, to 1 1. And then we lost the replay. But on that, actually, my dad was one Mm. of the guys who was organizing one of the funds that was helping to create to help keep uh, Oxford players paid at that time. And um, I remember a big, a big moment for me as you know, was uh, walking on the pitch with a Rickenbacker guitar. On that game, the Oxford Chelsea game. So I went on the pitch at half time and I sold the Rickenbacker for a, a couple of grand, I think, to help bring some money into the club. Um, All right. So that was, the, yeah, that was a big moment for me. But yeah, then back to managers. Yeah, people have come and gone and it's, yeah, it gets, it's, it's been a little confusing. But, um, but I, I have to say, since Chris Wilder came in, um, and obviously, we we that we were then we then found ourselves in the conference, which was really depressing, and that really that really mm. depressed my dad when you know towards the later years of his life. Um, and uh, yeah, I look, I I have always loved Chris Wilder. I, I thought I, I just felt that that from the time that he came in, ever since then the club has slowly been back on the up, you know, and, and it has basically, um, you know, although it's been a bit up and down, but it's basically you know been on the up ever since um you know and and also I totally understand how the difficulties now with you know the the likes of Kassam in the background and stupid rent that we're playing we're paying Mm. for what what is basically a three-sided sort of stadium that was never finished because in his sort of strange mind he thought that that during the summer he'd be putting on um, concerts there which he did one once uh, out and john played there once and that was that so he kept one of the ends open because he thought you know i mean it's just nuts but uh, but you know some with you know we're definitely coming towards a place where something has to budge and change now because i think the lease for that that ground is uh is going to come up soon i think it's in the next sort of couple of years um so so you know something has to change and um and of course the fans put a kind of i think it's something like for a community order on the ground so that it can't you know it's like something for the community so it's like a it's sort of legislation that means that he just can't just sell it off for housing basically you know yeah. so it's, that has gone on as well um but yeah you know i mean i think I, i've i've I really, you know, from the wild, and even, even in the conference stage, just getting out of the conference, um, and, and I remember, the, you know, the, the playoff final with York. I mean, that was a, an incredible afternoon. That probably is even more vivid to me and more of a highlight in a way for me than the really? Milk Cup final. Yeah, because I think at that point, had Oxford not got out of the conference at that time, which is an incredibly difficult division to get out of because it's only really the tough. top. Top team that goes up, Mm. and then it's you know like you know the next four that play off. But for me, that was that was the the highlight uh, because we. I I just I just figured that if we don't get out of the conference uh, at that time, then this club could die basically. Mm. And also, i you know, it's tinged with sadness a little bit because I knew that my dad wasn't well at that time, and he he was sort of saying that you know before I kind of um, say goodbye. I just want to, it'd be great to know that Oxford Uniteds are back in the league. Um, yeah. And it happened, you know, that really happened for him. So, I'd you know, I just remember the, when the third goal went in, because that was really tense as well. It was like 2-1 all through the second half on that. So, you, you know, and then until the last few minutes when um, Alfie Potter, you know, it's that, you know Sam Deering passed Alfie Potter, made it 3-1. And then we knew that we'd, we'd actually done it and we, we were out. Well, <laughs> you know, we're back in the league and that was, that was, that was, Pro- probably one of the the best moments I've, I've ever known supporting Oxford. Yeah.
2: So when when you talked about Elton playing at, at Kasam, did, did you guys <laughs> never get an offer? <laughs>
3: um, no, I don't, I don't. I think we possibly were when not we're not on Kasam's radar. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just so so bizarre that whole that whole thing. No, no, we we didn't. No. And I mean, yeah, yeah. It just it's just yeah, it's just. I know everything about Sam is it's a shame you know it's just yeah awful so I yeah I, and you know it's now it's it's you know here we are you know we we we're doing re- I mean well before obviously everything stopped uh we you know it, we were back you know the highest place that I've known for 20 odd years you know yeah. back to um so I don't know but there's still just this ongoing problem all the time with Kassam and that stadium and the club needing to own its stadium and you know I think until that's really resolved then we you know the club it's always going to sort of drag the club back a bit really
2: well I I mean it's easy to criticize the ground for being three-sided but yeah. as an away fan I always found it quite comforting that you could keep an eye on your car whilst the game was <laughs> going on. So every cloud has a silver lining and that, you know.
3: Yeah, but you know, it's also there's not too much car crime around there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is a bit of a rough area actually where the where the where the, where the ground actually <laughs> ended up being built. I mean, I, you know, I remember at school um on one of my I think it was, a ge- I mean, that ground was, they tried to relocate that ground for so long. And I remember even, uh, being, a like 17 year old doing a sort of geography, a level kind of project, which was, you know, which I brought into the relocation of Oxford United football ground within yeah. Oxford and I actually interviewed John Aldridge for it. Which oh really? Just, yeah. He was really cool. Cause he kind of just got that. you know, I was a big fan and, um, yeah, I just ended up sitting with John Aldrich for a while and uh, he, you know, just getting a player's sort of view on it. And of course, I suppose even then you don't realize, well, players are, are on the move anyway, so they're not that bothered about it. But mm. um, but yeah, he was cool. He was very cool. And uh, that was that was kind of like an, another sort of big, big moment for me for, you know, and uh, for my uh, geography, <laughs> sort <of laughs> geography course, coursework, you know.
2: That's that's really weird. That was my exact uh, GCSE geography project, looking for a new ground for Wimbledon.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, of course, we've got all that in common completely. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Same thing. Before we let you go, you've been super generous Mm. with your time, Mark. Um, That's right. um, Tell us about uh, the the, the most recent album, This Is Not A Safe Mm. Place, because uh, you guys have been back touring and making new records for for, yeah. for for the last couple of years um you've you've worked on these last couple of albums with errol Alcan. i mean how, how important is that to make it all new and
3: fresh um i think i think well i mean errol's great well i you know errol's just a lovely guy He's a total eclectic uh music man obviously errol's quite known for more for his sort of dj yeah, uh, more more talk t- techno stuff, but I mean, he also he had, he was running sort of indie clubs in London back in the day as well. So he's yeah, he's sort full, yeah, exactly. So he's fully. I mean, like ourselves, we're all completely eclectic as well with what we listen to and what what, what we like as a band. I mean, we're not we, we definitely don't. It's kind of obviously we get we get the 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 bizarre i mean you know we get the the shoegaze tag or whatever but i mean i don't don't really know any of us that listen to a lot of that you know what it's a wide genre but we don't check a lot of that music out you know in a way so um so you know errol errol was um great and i mean i think with the band you know there's i think where errol is really good is that we obviously as individually bring in a lot of ideas and when we come to make these records we've we've had some time just to sort of get ideas and stuff together and he was just really good at kind of helping to, sort of you know zoom in on like this these are the ones i think we should work on um yeah and you, it's just that fresh pair of ears that, that of someone that you kind of trust in a way um so and in that sort of slightly dj mentality as well of like that goes in, that's good to go next to that one, n- not that one. And that that really actually helps. Um, but I think with the with the freshness thing, I think just purely because we all listen to a lot of new music now, um, we've all I think each record we've made has always been pretty different to the last. Um, not because we're trying to do that, but just because that's how it comes out, that's how it works with us. Um, so I think I think they would have been pretty fresh anyway, because we're still very reactive to what's happening around us now uh, musically and in, in the world. And, I, you know, that's sort of always my feed now rather than, you know, just tapping back to kind of old music and trying to recreate that, which doesn't really, you know, I'm not really that interested in that. I think you've got to try and do things for tomorrow still as much as you can. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of things to Inspire and react against and work with now you know, and uh, there has been over the last few years since we've been back and mm. and I, I think for me that was always the real the real challenge i mean of course it was lovely to come back and play some massive shows and headline massive festivals around the world um and realize that in our absence the music uh, that we'd made had grown and grown um, even though we hadn't been a band for that time you know so it was just so nice to to reconnect and um do that, but I, I think that would have quickly felt old. If you know, I, di- I didn't want this to be a, a kind of um, a nostalgia trip, in a way. You know, I mean, because yeah. to me, that's just, uh, of course, it's lovely and fresh to kind of kind and play that stuff um, initially. Um, but then the real challenge for me was always about, and why? Why I just thought we should do it because I just felt we've still got loads more music in us that um, can that can can take to move it on you know take people to some new interesting places as well as some other places they've known and uh i think we you know we've managed to do that so that that was for me the 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 ultimate challenge and uh yeah you know that's that sort of vindicates the whole the whole reunion thing for me really because i you know i think a lot of bands without starting to name people have kind of done that and Mm -hmm. a lot of them just have not come back with interest in new material at all it's been pretty awful really you know and i, th- I think that's the real acid test of of it if, if if that kind of chemistry is still there with the people then you can create interest in new new music you know and, and if it's not there then no matter what you do uh music is completely transparent in that way you know you will it just won't work it would just it just you, you people can just hear when 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 bands have still got that chemistry or, or when that mm. chemistry is gone, really. So,
2: so right yeah. doing these fantastic big shows, um, mm. Oxford pushing towards the championship, Chris oh. Wilder slaying the Premier League. I mean, it's all set for a, a better 2021, isn't
3: it? Let's hope so. You know, I mean, I think, and I think, I think the, the thing that also obviously, Change with Chris Wilder is the Alan Neal connection, which I think maybe gets a bit overlooked at times. Yeah, yeah. Because because I think after Oxford, I think he's then made that connection with Alan Neal, and and I think as a duo, those people are just incredible. I mean, what a combination wherever they've gone, it's just. Been a total success and i'm really i'm really pleased f- um for for chris wilder because like i say i just i love what he did for oxford at the time and yeah I, I think it's just great to see a guy like that that you know i mean you know before he came to Oxford, he was like a halifax and places yeah. like that that has come through and it is, it is it's really doing it you know in the premiership it's fantastic yeah and and of course before you know this this stop i mean we were really on a roll and um but i suppose that's going to be the same for all clubs it's going to be really weird when they come back and restart because it's it's just odd i mean yeah it, it's just yeah i mean we live in these, these times are just so so bizarre what's going on now but um it's almost like uh yeah it's going to be almost well, completely starting again isn't it? it's like the sort of I mean, it must be really tough on a player when you, you know. I mean, for us, Matty Taylor has been on fire for us the last, you know. He just seemed to be getting better and better and better, mm. and you just wanted it to continue because I just think, had it continued like that, I thought we were looking really good for even automatics at, at the way we were going, and it was. I was just so gutted that it's it's kind of you know stopped, but obviously. You know we, we know why it stopped it's <laughs> this mm. even more important than football <laughs> you know so hard to believe I know <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah um no let's yeah I hope so I mean with, with ride um we've we've obviously come to the end of the cycle of touring I mean we were lucky because we just I think we we played a, a pretty big sold-out show in Milan uh which was I think right at the start of February so we just probably were I mean, I mean, looking at it, probably maybe just a week before the virus cases started to, to or you know, it started to be talked, even talked about in in northern Italy. Um, so yeah, I, you know, we we were really lucky on on our timing because you know, like life's really difficult enough anyway for bands and especially new artists any anybody now trying to sort of still make a kind of living with music is not easy anymore Mm. um so i really feel for all those people that you know were set for their tours and stuff and it's just all had to you know stop uh it's tough it's really really tough um so you know i've you know anyway i don't know if you want to get into that but you know i've been kind of self-isolating for the last pretty much the best part of the last two weeks um wasn't sure if my partner had well, we don't know if we, if it's kind of come through us or not mm. um but uh you know I mean I'm now self isolating on my own back in my studio, which I was sort of self i mean that that's the thing with studio work a lot of the time you're self isolating anyway, you know I mean it's because it a lot a lot of a lot of the work you do before it comes to a band or before you tour is quite isolated and just you know myself in a studio really so um i I will be able to get back to some of that work you know now but obviously the the big curveball is now we've you know you've kind of got children at home now that need looking after as well and it's yeah i mean everything's just yeah it's kind of yeah the world has been turned upside down really yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Better better in the studio than homeschooling, I would argue.
3: It is. Yeah, but then there's, you know, there's now the, you know, you've got the the conference of, you know, it's got to be shared now because, you know, I've got a partner that wants to be doing stuff as well. So, it's uh yeah, it is. So, but that that of course I'm not going to just suddenly think now I'm back in the studio all the time, okay, you know. So, I and actually bizarrely, it's it's a really sad but you get into these lives which you know, and, you know, just extremely busy touring, coming back from touring and then you're. I'm into, you know, I'm doing my own kind of my own record and maybe some soundtrack stuff and mixing record, mixing work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite mm-hmm. sad in a way, but the, the, it, it almost takes a virus for you to suddenly have to then be at home and then, you know, in the last week, I've two weeks, I've felt... A lot more connected now with my daughter than I've ever really felt. You know, mm-hmm. it's weird that it takes some things like that to bring you back to some real fundamentals that you, in in the sort of busy world that we live in, that you, yeah, you know, yeah. you kind of, you know, you just, yeah, it's just, you know, we're, we're put, you know, it's just busy, too busy all the time, you know. So it's on that level, it's been good. And it's just, but it's just a shame that it takes something this awful to bring you back to those places and remind, you know, remind you of actually what's really, what you, you know, what you should really value and not not be too busy for in a way all the time, you know? So, yeah.
1: This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network.
2: Hey folks, I'm Mark Maron from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues